Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Mark Wheeler. Mark is the CEO of Wheeler Company and a founding partner at Pathfinder Media, as well as a senior consultant for Align Pictures US. Mark specializes in entertainment management and production with an emphasis on building new creative businesses, client and IP management, as well as building and advising on independent co-productions. Pathfinder is a boutique entertainment management, production, financing, and consumer products firm based in Hollywood. Some of Pathfinder's projects and client projects have included Conan the Barbarian and the Robert E. Howard Library, Mad Men, Deadwood, The 100, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Blood Drive, and many more. And Align is a film financing company launched by Adrian Politowski and Nadia Kamlici in 2019. Mark, we are very excited to have you on the show today. How's it going? Good. Very good. Thanks for having me. You are based in LA, I want to say. How's it going out there? Things are well in Hollywood. Weather is good. International Women's Day today. So everybody is, uh, and the LA Marathon is definitely shutting things down this morning. But um, all is well here. And what's the correlation between LA and what you do? Have you always lived in LA? Did you move to LA to work in Hollywood or? Yes, the correlation. So our office is in actually in Hollywood, Hollywood. You know, we're right in the, I think a new epicenter thanks to Netflix moving in and a whole lot of new neighborhood revitalization in, in actual Hollywood, which is sort of centered historically on Hollywood and Vine. We're on Sunset, not far away from Vine. And, uh, you know, for most of my career, I was, we were actually in Beverly Hills, where for many years there were a lot of agencies and a lot of entertainment businesses in, um, in Beverly Hills. And over the last decade or so, I think most firms have moved um, about a bit, some to Century City, some, of course, staying in Beverly Hills. But Hollywood has historically been in Los Angeles, the proximity of the studios, the agencies, for the most part. This is where it is, and this is the draw. This is the mecca. And when I, you know, decided to uh, get into this business, I think certainly starting out, you have to be here. That was the mindset at the time, anyways. And did you always want to work specifically in the management, financing, production side of things? Was there one thing you set out to do particularly, or? Well, I my course of study is environmental hydrogeology. I had a a degree in human geography with an emphasis in water pollution. So that, of course, leads to a career in television and film. Um, <laughs> but uh, so what happened for me was, as I was doing these core science classes at university, you know, I had some free time and I took a, a history of cinema class and I just fell in love. And even though I used my degree a little bit right after graduation, I always had this, you know, this curiosity about the business. And I really, I really loved the process of story, the business of storytelling, just always fascinated by people who are great storytellers. And so that was always a question. And after doing a little bit of environmental consulting right out of graduation, I moved down to Los Angeles and started over 
you know, started my career over and, and got into the mailroom of a, you know, a boutique agency and, and kind of went from there. Now, I read your bio. I did my best to summarize who you are and what you do, but you do a lot. There's a lot going on there. So I was hoping you could explain exactly who you are and what you do in your own words. If someone was to approach you at a, an industry event in LA, how would you describe what you do? Well, I think the simplest way is to say that I, I help guide people's careers in terms of literary representation. So I, I work with writers, directors, and producers. And in terms of some of the other stuff that I do, it's really the, the idea of representing people, things, intellectual property, and putting them together to uh, help folks make entertainment content, right? Films, television, what have you. And so it's just the putting of things together, representing money, representing, uh, we, we happen to represent the Robert E. Howard Library. And we, we also work with a variety of creators, content creators, and, and so forth. So it's really, you know, for me, maybe there were a few titles in the, in the introduction, but the simplest way to put it is, you know, helping people create content and get it out there, get it made, get it seen, and packaging it a little bit further to uh, the marketplace's satisfaction. And as you know, we usually interview authors, TV writers, comic book writers, but this is the first time we've interviewed someone like you who is helping people create content and packaging it. Are you down to school us in what all of it all means and get into the details of it all? Sure. I'm happy to talk about what I do as best I can, hopefully not trespassing too much for your usual listeners. <laughs> cool. We're very excited to dive into it all. So my first question, our listeners are probably wondering what all these things mean, right? Entertainment management, financing. Mm -hmm. Tell us, how are all those things that you mentioned important to the writers who are listening right now? Well, that's a big question. And I think, you know, one of the things that we, we try to do in our professional work is to figure out how we can be of maximum, you know, service to writers, whether we represent them or if we're working with them on a production, right? Because the challenge from the very, very beginning of getting an idea in someone's head out onto the page and then into the reality of a production is a pretty exquisite undertaking. And so as a rep and someone who started representing writers specifically, it really is about finding and identifying those voices that, you know, for me, it's really about finding someone who has a passion for telling a story in a particular way and has a talent for doing so, and then getting behind them and supporting that as much as possible, however possible. And everyone is different. And so it really is finding those voices, finding those people that I feel like I fit with, I feel like I can be useful to, and helping them realize that story in whatever format that they want or need to tell it in. And sometimes that is, you know, really just getting behind them and saying, okay, you've created this thing. I believe in it. And it is formed very well. Let's attack the marketplace. And here's how we would do so. And sometimes it is, what is this idea? I love the idea. Let's talk about the expression of the idea and the format of the idea. So there's just so many different facets to this question. As much as you can guide me based on what you think your writers want to know, we can break it down into uh, subheadings, I suppose. There's a lot of work to be done to help writers succeed and fit into the marketplace. And that's, I mean, that is, that's where we live. For those listening, they may know the difference between an agent and a manager. 
But from different descriptions I've heard of managers, they don't always describe what they do the exact same way that you do. So how do you specifically differ than any other manager that they might be looking to find a representation with? Well, I think we all do similar things. I think these days, management companies are diversifying a bit into how do they package or how can they diversify themselves a little bit to offer more to their clients. But, uh, you know, some folks are just pure form writer, developer, sales folks. And some, some people do, you know, work with packaging and producing and financing like I do. I don't know that that's unique. It really comes down to the individual person because we're all out there trying to shape careers and advance careers and get clients' products made. So that's, you know, it's very hard to say, and it's such a personal thing. So it's, it really comes down to, I think, personal style. Most of the managers that I know, that I've worked with, they come from an agency background. Some of them, although, come from a production background and just have a knack for working with writers and developing material. But um, we all do a very similar thing. As far as entertainment management, I would love to kind of dive into the process of how you find your talent and then kind of what your process is working with them. I guess my first question is, when you are looking for writers, looking for content, how do you find it? Where do you begin? Do people reach out to you? Do you reach out to them? It's just as varied as you would meet anybody in life. I sometimes get uh, recommendation letters. I got a recommendation letter for a young writer who was a production assistant on Weeds, and the showrunner or the uh, co-executive producer on that show sent me a, a letter saying, you know, hey, this, this writer has done a terrific job on, you know, for me, and as a favor to them, would you, you know, they reached out to different representatives and, and asked me if I would read their work, right? And so, you know, in that particular case, it was from someone who was substantially in the business, made a recommendation and sent me a note to take a look at a writer who I happen to quite like. I liked the writing. We had a good general meeting and we talked about what it is that they really want to do. That meeting and that conversation yielded a show called Blood Drive, which aired on Sci-Fi Channel. So, you know, in some cases, you know, this young writer, James Rowland, you know, it couldn't have been a sort of a more traditional way in which you get introduced to somebody, you know, where someone makes a recommendation, you take a read, uh, you like their voice, you meet them, you get a sense of where they want to go. And in that moment, it was just one of those things where within a few months of meeting that person, we, you know, we started representing him and we sold that show and got it put together with a variety of different other partners and really helped this young writer launch his career. And so, you know, there's any number of ways in which you can get introduced to somebody. I think for me personally, the best is when there's some sort of, you know, personal introducer, connector, referral source, but occasionally, and I have had, you know, blind query letters come in. Often they're not very well written and uh, very well thought out. And they're just, you know, the bulk I don't know what it is, sort of, you know, MailChimp or whatever kind of email blast it is. It's the sort of same form letter. But occasionally I will get a very thoughtful, you know, sort of email submission. And uh, that has yielded some results, but it's very rare. Usually it's people who know me and know what I do and know someone who's created something or written something and has a talent. You know, they've forwarded that on to me. And then, um, you know, the process takes its course. And where should someone be at in their career before they approach a manager? And what stage should a project be in? Obviously, 
in the literary world for an author to query an agent. They usually have a completed manuscript. For film and TV projects, how developed should those be? If they were to approach you, should those be at the pitching stage? Should they be fully you know, fleshed out, outlined? Where would you suggest? Well, for me, I need to be able to understand that someone has a business in order for me to represent them. And that is often that they've proven themselves in some way in the business already, or they've demonstrated that they have such a specific and unique voice and a level of talent that I can justify, you know, spending the time and the resources that I have or that our company has to further their career, right? So, you know, it can't just be an idea. It can't just be one script or the first script, you know, unless that just comes out to be pure genius. And, you know, I, I can't say that there's any hard and fast rule to it, but the competition is so fierce for every package television show, film project, for every script that's going out, for every idea that's being pitched. There just has to be a significant level of, of readiness and talent for each client. So it really comes down to people who have established themselves and their voice in a specific way and have an understanding of what they can do, where their strengths and weaknesses are. They have either succeeded some in the business already, or they really have done the foundational work, learning their craft, and they know how to talk about their business. Often a big part of it is not just getting it on the page, you know, having written completed scripts that work, but that they know how to talk about those projects and can, and really are fun to be with when they talk about their work. That's a big part of it is once you've completed something, you know, a big part of the marketplace is determining, you know, who they want to hang out with in the process of making this content, you know? And so that is obviously a, a very subjective thing, but being able to talk about the work, being able to uh, relay the work, the ideas, the creative, the purpose, what is this all about in a way that's engaging and, and ideally fun, I think makes a huge difference. And what are the types of projects that you are usually looking for? Is it TV? Is it film? Are there trends that people should be looking at or should not be looking at? And what are the projects that excite you personally? So we, we look at film and television. We sometimes develop podcasts. I have a colleague who focuses on that a little bit more. We're looking for things that, are, that travel in the most efficient way internationally to the biggest possible audience. That's the best way to put it. It's very broad, though, of course. And sometimes that means sci-fi action thriller, but it's just what is, what is the idea that can be expressed to the biggest possible audience? And how is that unique in some way? It's hard to say until you see it, but those are genres that we work well in, we have an affinity for, and it does make it a little easier when you have something that can be very easily translated to a variety of different places all over the world. But that's not to say that a, you know, a Christmas movie wouldn't fit that you know, model as well. It's really very dependent upon the season, the time, uh, whether it's TV, film, all those things. And it comes down to passion as well. So it can't just be a plug and play. I'm looking at the market and I'm responding to the market in this way. And I think this will sell based on what is just opened or just worked. In many ways, I don't think that works. It really comes down to why is this idea from this writer meaningful, personally you know, powerful, and can reach as many people as possible. 
some of these things, there's so many different specific oh, examples totally. of success that it's hard to it's hard to say exactly what you know what will work on any given uh, week. As you move through the process of working with talent, let's say you find someone who has a project or maybe someone you see potential in, what's the first thing you do with that person to develop the script or the IP that they have, and what are the next steps there? Once I've identified somebody that I want to work with, exactly, yeah. I think the first thing is, so I've identified them based on understanding where they might fit into a market, whether they're, uh, if they're a TV drama writer, what kind of genre that I think they can be most profitable in, the happiest in, most productive in. And it's really leaning in on that. So I'm not a huge believer in trying to strengthen people's weaknesses, but lean into their strengths and focus on those things. And so having an understanding of if a writer is good at one, two, or three things, then let's really lean in on that and build as much ammunition in that space, as much product in that space as we possibly can. And how do those things connect to each other? So when we're talking about that writer in the marketplace with filmmakers, with producers, with executives, studio executives, et cetera, it really is the ability to look at the body of work or the collection of work and say, this is who this person is and why, if you are in this space, you need to know them. So it's just refining and refreshing what it is that they've, they're doing and why, where they've come from, this next project is their best logical next step and why that's meaningful in the marketplace. So really helping people to grow in increments of 10%, I would say, just generally speaking, into the next bigger business, you know, where they're coming from. And for those listening who don't know how that process works, once you have that script, that IP, that project that you want to try to get made, what comes next? Is the financing side next? Are you trying to pitch to studios next? How does that look and in what order? Again, I think it's different for each project. Some projects, I think, are very clearly actor-driven projects. And it may be that an actor-driven production company is the right vehicle, a driver, way to you know, help this you know, writer or this project get you know, to the next level or get their project made. Some projects are very clearly producerial-driven or director-driven. And it really is about going through the the lists of people who are making the kinds of content that you have in your hands and helping them connect those dots and refining as you go who you're sharing the work with and building it out. So, you know, it really is about working with the market, getting feedback, and then refining who the next best targets are. You know, initially, you know, everybody you want to direct your project, to star in your project is not available because they're often you know, the folks that everybody else wants to, right? So it's, it's being a little bit creative with that and tremendous amount of luck on any given day. There's really a, quite a bit of talent is assumed, but there is quite a bit of luck involved in, you know, getting on board with the right people as they're becoming available or rising in their, uh, you know, notoriety or their ability to execute on ideas, whether they're, uh, you know, executives or actors or directors. And so, you know, and, and knowing, you know, who is, really, truly going to be available to give you the time and energy and who, you know, who isn't. So there's a, there's a lot of players involved in getting that information and figuring out whether it's going to be real for you or not, and whether you can, you know, have the fortitude to um, see it through. So that's a big part of just 
you know, getting the information from the marketplace and also navigating it, given that life is a finite thing and, you know, everybody has different agendas and schedules to manage. I would love to take a minute to focus in on the financing side of things. For those writers listening who have never written a film script, haven't gotten into that world, don't know how film financing works or TV financing works, can you break it down for us a little bit, just on like a high level, how it works from wanting to get financing to getting that production made? So for us, most of what we look at are package projects. So we're looking at material that has that has been written, that has a director attached, that has a producer attached, and has one or more pieces of talent attached, actors attached. And we're looking at that in the independent film space, usually. The independent television production and finance model is a very unique and specific thing. And a lot of the streamers and a lot of the networks are not, you know, really looking at projects that they can't own these days. And so, you know, really has to be sort of an internationally driven or a unique amount of leverage involved in uh, creating a finance scenario on television. So we look at, we tend to look at projects in the, um, in the five to $25 million space for our partners and finance friends and for ourselves. So that tends to be the sweet spot because the cost of financing, the due diligence required, the legal fees required to do due diligence on a project under $5 million it's quite expensive and the return on deploying that money is often just not, it's the same amount of work, not as much of a return for under $5 million. And so we, that tends to be the threshold from there. And the sweet spot in that independent space tends to be between five and 15, 15, 20, $25 million. There's a tremendous amount of pressure for getting just incredibly superior talent involved. So just so much more risk in terms of what kind of reward is needed to make that project successful for all involved. So that tends to be the, um, the sweet spot. And every project, of course, in different genres will have their own merits. But, you know, looking for things that will work internationally and, again, will appeal for that genre, the broadest possible demographic within that genre. So often talking about, you know, what it is about a particular, you know, awardsy drama or a a biopic, or perhaps it's a you know sci-fi action thriller. What about these projects and the elements involved? Will you know really work for our financiers and you know for our group? We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free thirty-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Next.
Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickr and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. What would you say on your day-to-day, the percentage of your time, how would you break down the percentages of, let's say, helping a client to get a project to where it needs to be, trying to find directors, actors to get attached to those projects, pitching to get you know financing, and then also pitching to studios? What would you say the breakdown, or is it kind of a mix of everything? You know, it depends from day to day, but I would say I spend about 50% of my time representing people in projects, and the other 50% is, you know, representing or helping to, you know, get clients and friends' projects made. It varies, you know, some weeks it'll be 75, 25, but there's, there's probably not a day that goes by that not half the time is spent looking at client projects, talking about client projects with the community, and figuring out you know, what can be done to advance their careers and, and their quality of life, you know, within their work experiences. On the development side, what's your role in working with your clients on the actual project itself? Are you in there looking at whether it's a script or are you in there with them and advising, oh, this should change, this should be more like this? What does that creative side look like? It depends. And different clients and different writers are very different about their, you know, their process. And some people you know, prefer and want to come with something that's a little bit more fully formed. And sometimes, you know, it will be, you know, I'm thinking about something in this arena. And it really totally depends on the subject matter and the client. And sometimes, you know, a conversation about an idea or even a suggestion from someone else coming in about, you know, I'd really love to see a kind of an idea or a a book or a project adapted by this writer. What is that what does that look like for them? You know, so sometimes there's a really, there's an interesting matchmaking of material and ideas with writers that is quite fun. But sometimes it's just hearing an idea, a writer wants to work in a sort of a, a crime noir setting. And what does that look like in a contemporary way? How is that executed? You know, how do we get our characters from A to B to C throughout the piece, you know, can be at first maybe a a bit more of an abstract conversation. And then, you know, as it gets more grounded and gets realized, it's turned into a conversation. And then the script comes and reading that and talking about what works and what doesn't work. So it's just, it's so dependent upon each client's comfort with collaboration, their desire, you know, their, their experience, my relationship with them, the level of trust, you know, some, some writers, I will want to talk about a particular idea and what's working and what isn't. And some just know exactly what it is that they want to do, and they're going to execute it, and they're terrific at it. And so, I mean, it's just, a, it's really, that's what, one of the things I love about the work, is that it is so variable, and it's, uh, it's so fun to see what yields results for people in the different process. What about production? Obviously, the goal is to get a project to production, to get it made. What's your role when it gets to that phase? Are you still heavily involved managing your talent? Do you take a little step back? Well, when we work with clients and we're in a producerial capacity, it really is about what is best for the project and managing everybody's expectations about how that works for the client. And, uh, and so there's no way you can ignore a situation where everybody has to come together and want to go in the same direction. I mean, that is the ideal best scenario. 
there's never a production without a few bumps in the road. It's sort of a controlled chaos. You know, our role, we're not physical producers. We're not line producers or, you know, boots on the ground, you know, nuts and bolts producers. But we are putting the elements together and uh, and or structuring finance for um, for projects. So and in some cases, we represent the actual nuts and bolts producers. So the um, adding all the ingredients in to go make the picture is a part of that process. And and making sure along the way, everybody's getting what they need to do what they do best. So for me, it really is trying to empower people to do the best work that they want to do that is in service to the project. And that's the position we try to take, whether we're producing something or whether we're representing something. And often, just as a representative, and this is, you know, again, can be very interesting, also very challenging, is you know, when you're just looking after one person's interest and the client, you can't purely focus on what they want in a scenario without having an understanding of what the production wants. What the client wants and what the production wants has to sync up for the best possible scenario. And and for us, it's got to be, you know, yes, the goal is to get, you know, get the film, get the TV show made. But if people aren't, you know, enjoying in my opinion, if people aren't enjoying the process and appreciating the work and, um, you know, satisfied with the results along all the steps of the way, there's not going to be a repeat, you know, performance. There's not going to be, um, you know, there's not going to be another one afterwards. And, you know, it's so hard to get something made. It's so hard to get somebody to, you know, finance green light, you know, come together and make a project that you really want to invest that extra time and energy in making sure that it works and that it can work again for the same people because it's, again, so hard to find a level of trust with a group of people and build that rapport. So we really try to help people build relationships, long-term relationships, rather than just make individual projects. It just it makes life so much simpler when you can find that group and continue to you know, produce with them. You mentioned getting the next gig after the project they're working on currently. What are the skills and qualities that writers should have in order to, you talked about this a little bit, but in order to get those recurring gigs, whether that's networking with the showrunner or the other writers in a writer's room, or just being a good person. We've heard that a lot on the show. What are those things you would suggest to the writers out there who are maybe starting on their first projects? What should they do? No, it's a great question. You know, being a good person, being likable, always helpful, always a plus. Being aware of what other people are doing. Look, some, some writers, just by virtue of the fact that creating in that way is very internal, often uh, very you know, solitary work, some writers are not the social butterfly, the networker, the, you know, the out there creating opportunities or the next, what's the next thing. Some people develop that skill set out of necessity over time. But just figuring out how what you're working on next and tracking what other people are doing in a similar genre is is helpful, right? So if if you're networking and you're out there and you're social and you're always connecting and meeting new people who are doing what you're doing, terrific, you know. And then there's a refinement process that goes along with that. Anything that a writer can do, anybody who's creating anything, to have an awareness of the market and where they are at with their their talent, if they really want to achieve more, better, you know, more volume is they become, a. I think they become a student, you know, one way or another, they become a student of their, of their genre, of their 
of the people who are doing what it is that they're doing. They come to an understanding of what's working, what isn't working, and they study it and know everything about it, know who's doing what and why they're doing what. And that creates an opportunity for more conversations and connections, whether you're out there and socializing a lot or whether you're, you know, just connecting with people via text and email and what have you. People will help make those connections for you if you really do understand what it is that you're doing and how you fit into the marketplace. I think that is important. You know, other than that, it's just sheer genius. You know, some folks are just incredibly genius at what they do and just generate what they generate. And the world wants to consume it, you know, and that's a magic. Being around that is a magic thing. That's just one of the privileges. You are also involved in building businesses and consumer products for those two things. Can you walk us through what those two things mean and your involvement? Yeah, we look at we look at IP and entertainment often through the lens of having a potential consumer products business, which falls mostly under the jurisdiction of my business partner, Fred Melberg, who is fantastic, super experienced consumer products expert and has been in that space for many, many years. And so one of the things that we talk about, and, and it is incredibly challenging, is to find something that you know has a really incredible consumer products spinoff life or you know those ancillary revenues, and whether they be video game, tabletop, role-playing, collectible, you know, book adaptation spinoff. So you know that comes mostly from you know our experience in representing the Robert E. Howard Library and entertainment. And that is, you know, the Conan the Barbarian, Solomon Kane, Cull of Atlantis, Dark Agnes characters, you know, all these terrific, violent, barbaric characters. And what, you know, my partner has done in a, just an incredible way is built a terrific business for them in every skew imaginable globally, from video game to tabletop, role-playing, massive uh, comic book, uh, graphic novel license deals. And so when we look at something new, we look at it through the lens of not just what could be good TV, what could be good film, but what could also be, you know, an additional business. And we guide and advise folks on what that might be often. You know, we're looking at a, we're looking at a famous fashion brand at the moment, creating entertainment stories around the singular person who created that brand and also what the potential, you know, 2020 and future fashion brand extensions might look like, you know, in that world. So that's, you know, that's an example of how we're thinking about, you know, building businesses and building brands that have an entertainment component to it, but there are also many partners involved in building a much bigger business domestically, you know, in North America, but also internationally. So we really do like to try to look at what is the bigger brand building experience for people who own brands, who own IP, and who are creating content with it you know, with a very global mindset and have the, um, the experience or the tenacity to, you know, to design for a, um, in a bigger way. As far as creating IP specifically, I know oftentimes for movies, sometimes it's hard to get an original IP made. Oftentimes they have to be existing. How would you suggest writers create their own IP? Would you suggest writing a comic book or writing a novel? Is either one of those more viable than the other? How would you suggest someone go out and create their own new Star Wars or new Harry Potter, that kind of thing? Well, I, the examples you gave between the comic book and the novel, I would suggest writing the novel. The comic book is such a, creating a comic book is an expensive and collaborative process. Much easier to just depend on if you're the sole, you know, creator 
write that novel and figure out a way in which it's serialized. And there's, you know, there's great examples of people who've created incredible comic book companies, obviously. It's a very different business than basically creating the the written work in in novel format or in, uh, you know, creating those something to be published, whether it's digital or print or what have you. So just by the virtue of the fact that the complexities of hiring an illustrator and uh, an artist and, you know, all the other elements that are involved in making comic books and graphic novels, you really are managing a production pipeline there. And so you depend on so many other people to be successful at what they're doing and good that it's just much simpler if you're looking at generating a character or an IP that's franchisable, write it down in whatever format that, you know, only requires you to do so, whether it's a screenplay or a a pilot script or novelizing it, you know, it could even be, you know, finding a creative way to do a, a podcast where it's, you know, you're telling the story in a creative way and recording it. Whatever it is, the simplest possible way to express that idea is going to be the best. Before we move on to some bonus questions, what's next for you? Where do you want to be in five years, 10 years? What are those projects that you want to be involved in? What would make you a happy Mark Wheeler? Thank you. I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I am one of those people who has been fortunate enough to do what I love doing. And I, I love doing what I'm doing. I want to continue doing it. So I love representing people. I love finding and discovering voices. I love taking people who are in a particular genre or business and figuring out how to make them uh, their deals bigger and more successful. I absolutely love working with creative people. So to continue to do that, I hope I get to do that for the rest of my life. It's really been a, a privilege. And I've met so many fantastic people along the way. So I hope to always be able to do that. And in terms of, you know, financing and or producing projects, you know, I have a really terrific business partner. I've been incredibly blessed to be partnered with the people that I am. And so a big part of that is building out the Robert E. Howard library entertainment business, right? Is building out a Conan the Barbarian business. We're in deep conversations about that at this moment, very much in terms of making the deals that we need to make to build out the entertainment that we want to build out for the next five years. So I really hope that um, in the next five years, you will be seeing you know, entertainment coming out of that Robert E. Howard Library, Conan the Barbarian coming first, ideally. So to be doing that for five years and beyond would make me incredibly happy. And just finding a way to help people deploy money in the best way, in the most profitable way in entertainment, whatever those projects are, you know, would make me happy. And to be, you know, of service to this eclectic group of folks we have here in this business. So yeah, I think the answer really is to keep doing what I'm doing and, um, and helping other people do it bigger and better so that they're growing in the way that they want to grow. Is there a particular project? You know, I mentioned some of those bigger Star Wars, Marvel, but there's also those more personal Netflix, Hulu type projects. Are there particular projects that you wish that you could be involved in or that you want to see? Obviously, Conan was a great example. Well, Conan is terrifically exciting. I, uh, you know, <laughs> for many, many, many years, I've been, you know, from uh, when I was a kid, I've always loved the James Bond franchise and an unrealistic goal, perhaps, but I would love to be involved in the James Bond franchise in any possible way. I think it's, you know, look, as an American kid, identifying with everything 007, I suppose wherever you are in the world, you know, it's just a, it's sort of an incredibly iconic character. 
and all the things that have come out of the um, that franchise have been, I think, just astoundingly interesting and cool. And obviously, the legacy speaks for itself. I'd love to be a part of any franchise like that. Who wouldn't? But I, you know, I've been lucky enough to be able to have a few things that that I enjoy working with, and if I can find things like that, that would be terrific. I enjoy just seeing them do what they're what they're going to do next. I'm I'm excited about Daniel Craig's new you know new film. I can't wait to see you know whatever he does next. I can't think of any Bond film that I haven't enjoyed in some way. You know, no matter what the no matter what the director or uh, you know locations or plotting is. I think that's a terrific example of a, a hugely successful franchise. So just to laser in on one in particular, I think that's I think that's phenomenal. Our American version, I suppose, would be uh, Jason Bourne, and I'm excited to see whatever comes next from Jason Bourne. So those kinds of character-driven franchises are very interesting to me, and I think you have a sense of what um, you know Bond will do in any given set of circumstances. And uh, same with Jason Bourne. So I, I love those kinds of franchises. You know, Star Wars, everything Star Wars, everything Marvel. Obviously, we're huge students of that, and we're you know constantly being surprised and refreshed and enjoying what those people who manage those brands do they do it at the very 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 best top level of the business and it's a again it's a it's a privilege to work with some of those folks i hope they all continue doing what they're doing and we'll be lucky enough to work on some of the things that we're uh, getting out there and getting done soon mark are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions absolutely let's do it all right first one over the past 15 years how has the landscape the current landscape of the entertainment industry, from the advent of higher quality digital cameras, iPhones, to the oversaturation of content, to the rise of streaming, to the age of binge watching. How has that affected what you do? I think it's created a singular focus on brand and what helps cut through the clutter. What do you have? What is your voice? What is the brand? What is the thing that you have that helps people pay attention to you? That's become more and more the focus, I think. And and helping people tune into that is really our aim. So, you know, just focusing in more clearly on those things that help cut through and why they're uniquely identifiable and how they elevate up above everyone else is really the, the focus that's come as a result of that. You know, all the streaming channels, all the proliferation of television and cable and just so much content being out there thrown at everybody in every given minute. Next question. If you could have financed or helped get any project made, film or TV show in the history of TV and film, which project would you choose and why? Well, I, I mentioned, I guess I mentioned a couple of them. The James Bond franchise is, you know, incredible. Anything that, um, you know, the folks over at Disney now own, <laughs> obviously lucrative and tremendously rewarding for everybody. Personally, I love Mad Men as a show to have been more involved in something like that. The Walking Dead, a tremendous example of a genre success, an incredible genre success. Those are a few examples that come to mind. There's just so many. There's just been so much great content. The next question, if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? That's a great one. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Mirakami's work. I would love to take him to uh, McDonald's. What would you get at McDonald's? Whatever he wants. <laughs> Love it. The next question for those filmmakers listening, is the traditional route of filming a short film, getting it into a film festival, 
writing a feature script, getting an agent, getting that feature script made, is that still a viable path in 2020? Yes. I think if you can make content, I don't know that I would say making short films. In many ways, making a feature-length independent film is just as hard as making a short film, but you've got the completed product ready to be distributed in a bigger way. So if you can make something, anything that shows people you should be given the chance and the money and the resources to make more, great. Whatever the format is, you know, that's a worthy pursuit. So, you know, I don't think there's any answer to exactly what the format should be as long as the execution of the material lends itself to more, right? And I think that's I think that's the best possible scenario that somebody did something in such an excellent way. They created that short film, that feature-length film, maybe even an independent pilot where it's just intuitively obvious there should be more from that creator or more of that particular thing extended. What about other lanes that creators can go down? Obviously, there's things like the blacklist. There's obviously the YouTube route. There's a lot of different platforms, different techniques, as opposed to going through the Hollywood system. Do you have any thoughts on that and suggestions? Any contest, any kind of any contest you can get into that gives you the experience of getting read, getting feedback is good. The Blue Cat, the Blacklist, the South By, the, uh, there's a lot of them out there. Anytime you get your work read by people who are you know, experienced, that's what they do, and getting feedback is great. The Nichols Fellowship, et cetera. All good, all worthy, and help writers be able to promote themselves a little bit easier. So if you can say that you've won, you know, you're, you're a, uh, a semifinalist or a finalist or you've won one of these awards, I think it's noteworthy and I think it's important and I think it's very good to distinguish yourself. What about for those writers, creators who are trying to get a project made and want to finance it themselves? What is a realistic way to finance something yourself, whether it's going to a bigger company or whether it's, you know, I know in the past, some classic filmmakers have taken out a bunch of credit cards and charged it up. What are your thoughts? Oh, the, uh, oh, that's such a tough, nerve wracking question. (laughs) You know, and you hear, you hear so many filmmakers talk about their credit card movie, right? Their first movie, you know, whether it's a better luck tomorrow, an example, or, you know, I was talking to this terrific documentary filmmaker who financed on his own credit card a documentary about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which he turned into a really successful business endeavor. You know, I am loath to to suggest anybody finance a new business venture on their credit card. But the beauty of it is that when you believe in yourself and you have something that you have to do, you know, you're going to do it, whether it's on your credit card or whether it's through, you know, a Kickstarter campaign or whatever it is, beg, borrow, steal, you're going to find a way to make that thing work. So I can't really speak to, you know, whether it should be, don't really want to speak to whether you should finance something on your credit <laughs> card or not. But I do know that, you know, when you have to tell a story, when you have to create some kind of content, you know, the barriers go away if you don't give up and you don't die. You know, you'll find people who will help you along the way. If you have a clarity of what it is that you want to do and you have a level of excellence to how you want to do it. So, yeah. Good luck. (laughs) Hopefully too much credit card debt isn't required, but we look forward to seeing the results of that. Second to last question, if you had to choose one single piece of advice or learning from your career to pass along to those writers who are listening right now, what would you say? If it's in your heart to do, if you love the creation process, if you love writing, 
don't give up and don't die, and you will find that your work will be realized eventually. You know, think about if you're doing it to be famous, if you want to wake up having written and you like the idea of being a writer more than you actually like writing, then think again about whether you really want to do this or whether you should be doing something else that, you know, is more lucrative or easier or, you know, that you enjoy the process of more. I think you really have to, I believe that you really have to love what you do. If you have the freedom to choose what to do, you really have to love it. You really should love it. And if you do, you'll succeed eventually if you don't give up. The last and most important question. Drum roll, please. Please uh, hand me the envelope. I've been handed an envelope. (laughs) (laughs) And the last question is, did you have fun today, Mark? Of course. It was great talking with you. And uh, I hope that was uh, helpful to your listeners and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Mark. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.